Biden and his team are incompetent. They are amateurs. And so are people in the rest of Europe. The UK, it's like there's if there's a looking if you're looking for a bigger bunch of morons, just go to London. The death of God is about the drying up of a horizon of meaning and of a whole form of human life. Where do we stand in the illusion it makes? What kind of space are we invited into? The material relations between people become social relations between things. When we look at toasters, corn, and TVs, we don't we see... We still, to a large extent, live in the interregnum between between worlds, if you will, or between paradigms. Not many people in the history of the world have faced that. Diet Soap is a sublation media podcast. So Margaret Kimberly is a long-term, like long-time friend and guest. And you started, uh, we started talking uh, when this podcast was originally called Diet Soap, like I think 2010. Literally, like oh wow! <laughs> maybe maybe it was 2011, but it was a while ago. We we've been talking on and off for over a decade now, Margaret. So wow, yeah. So it seems like <laughs> it's been a decade since I talked to you last. Um, and every time I have you on lately, it's always like Margaret. the The world has gone crazy. Everything is wrong. I need to talk to you again because you can help me try to figure. <laughs> I, I, well, I hope out. so. <laughs> And and this time, it's Ukraine. It's mm-hmm. the it's the potential for another world war. Yes, that seems to have emerged, and I mean it has definitely emerged. That potential is can't be denied. I don't think. Um, and I'm looking around at my comrades on the left and seeing at best confusion. Yeah, and at worst uh, capitulation to the i would call it the blob like the washington mm-hmm. dc consensus right just sort of a falling in line mm-hmm. behind um a long-standing american policy mm-hmm. of of uh, basically u.s adventurism around the world and, and intervention mm-hmm. and violence and conflict and um i recently had on a couple of marxist humanists from the news and letters who were completely convinced that the struggle of the Ukrainian people against uh, Putin was a struggle for socialism. Uh, and, and that, um, I mean, that may be not quite fair, but I think it's close to being fair. And uh, that we had to def- help the Ukrainian people defend themselves against the fascist Putin. Um, and uh, that's not my perspective. Okay, good. Um, uh, We're not going to fight. But uh, I also interviewed Max Blumenthal Uh uh, earlier on and who was advocating for a multipolar world, seeming Mm -hmm. seeming to think that Putin's uh, invasion, while unjustified uh, in terms of legality, was uh, predictable and understandable and that the need for a multipolar world um, was palpable. But I, don't, I don't know if I'm being entirely fair to Max Blumenthal either, but that seemed to be his position, if I can remember it correctly. Okay. So I want to ask you, do you think that the best outcome that we could have that could come out of the, the war in Ukraine is a checking of U.S. power 
and the setting up of a multipolar world? Oh, sure. Absolutely. You know, I think I, I have to say these, uh, the word left is, is very problematic in this country. There are people who get to call themselves leftists who I just think aren't. So if you support uh, U.S. aggression, if you support U.S. foreign policy, you're not a leftist. It just is not a left position. It can't mm-hmm. be. Uh, even if uh, one can debate, and I, you know, and I've seen uh, very principled debate about Russia's actions, about um, uh, uh, Putin's uh, decision to go in. Uh, people who are most definitely on the left by any definition disagreeing about that, but to side with the U.S. is not a left position. It just isn't. And um, having happened, and I, I also want to say, you know, even. Even if you if you say Putin should not have done it, I think it's very important to talk about what led to this, mm-hmm. to talk about the 2014 coup against the elected president, Viktor Yanukovych, who's always described as Putin's ally or something. He was the elected president of Ukraine. He was overthrown in a coup. The U.S. sided with right wing forces to get him out of of uh of office. This set off a chain of events. Part of Ukraine, the Donbass region <clears throat> in particular, did not want to be part of this coup government. There was a civil war. Uh, and these are not the first deaths. 14,000 people dead in that region. Efforts to bring about peace that were simply ignored by the US, the Minsk agreements, the Minsk II agreement uh, from 2015, a long time ago which got unanimous approval in the UN Security Council, which Ukraine um, signed. And basically they agreed to give some level of autonomy to Donbass, to declare their neutrality, to look at their constitution. And they just never did it because, and the US never, and Ukraine is a de facto US uh, colony, let's be clear. Um, The US didn't push them on it and European nations didn't push them on it. So all of these things led to these events, the failure of diplomacy. And I, I also think, if you remember back in January, Bush, uh, Bush, I keep calling him Bush. Biden made this. Uh, this well, what's the difference? Go ahead. I Bush, Biden. <laughs> um, made this strange remark when they were like, Russia's going to invade. Russia's going to invade. And people were debating whether that was true or not. And he said, well, you know, if it was a little incursion, just a mini incursion, it was very strange. It was like, well, was this Joe just being confused? I think and other people think he gave the game away. They wanted to instigate something. um, And there had been um, uh, new attacks on the Donbass region that they wanted to kill the um, Nord Stream 2, the pipeline agreement with between Germany and Russia. They wanted to sanction Russia. So they wanted to cause something to happen. So I don't think they got what they wanted. I think it blew up in their faces. And um, the end result, the worst thing, of course, is that people are dead. Um, So that is um, my take. I think we have to talk about all all of those things, uh, even as we debate whether or not Russia's actions were justified or not. Now, the current president, Zelensky, mm-hmm. everyone's hero, you know, the celeb, cause celeb of the moment, President Zelensky, was not brought in by that coup, right? He came in. No, no, late. he came afterwards. 
Mm-hmm. And he was all, he's also democratically elected president, an outsider to a degree. I mean, he's funded by oligarchs, but yeah. he was, yeah, but he had to create his own um, party. Um, and the, the, uh, well, have you seen, I probably, you haven't, I pop- propagandized myself when this started and I watched Zelensky's servant of the people, which was the name of his party as well. But it was first, it was this TV show on in right. 2015. And I watched like three or four episodes of, of uh, servant of the people. And it's, you know, the story of this uh, common history teacher living in a, an apartment with his, with his parents and his niece and uh you know how he came to be because of a viral video how he came to be the president of ukraine despite the fact that no oligarch supported him and how he was trying like you know like have you ever seen the movie dave Remember the i movie did not dave? see it sorry <laughs> they, in, in the in the 90s there was a movie called dave and it's like mm-hmm. a guy who looks like the like the president act, gets to be president because the president has a stroke so it's like an average guy uh... gets to be president and um, and uh, so he does things like get his accountant friend in to balance the budget so they can keep the homeless shelters going and get to keep the national program going and things like that. Um, and so that's the sort of feeling you get from watching Zelensky is like, OK, he's, he's going to be against corruption on the side of common sense and the common people. He's kind of a clownish character, but not like a not like a stupid character, but just sort of. You know, uh, like a situational comedy character would be, you know, relatable. And so I watched that, watched Zelensky, and then see that he actually became the president of Ukraine based on the popularity of his own persona. And he did represent, I think, for the people of Ukraine, an attempt to get rid of the kind of corruption Mm -hmm. that dominated Ukraine to get to some sort of formal bourgeois democracy not some socialist utopia but just sort of like we'll enter the eu we'll have some sort of industry we'll we'll get rid of all this we won't have to bribe every official in our life to get things done we'll have a functioning society that's what he kind of promised and from my perspective the because of the conflict between nato the united states and russia that uh, dream was completely crushed by both sides. Sure. Um, yeah, so I bring that up just to say that um, the 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 problem here is you can't really cast uh, 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 the Ukrainian uh, people now, the Ukrainian nation, as merely a puppet of the United States because there was a force for reform that was maybe not as strong as it should have been. It's definitely mm-hmm. facing a lot of setbacks. And I'm not saying like Zelensky is some sort of saint, but there was an attempt to change that, the attempt to change that society going on. And he couldn't con- control it. Like there's Blumenthal mentions this, like um, yeah. he would go to Donbass and say, look, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, I want a ceasefire, turn in your weapons. And they were like, who the hell are you? And he says, I'm exactly. not some loser. I'm not some loser. I'm the president of Ukraine. Yes. yes. Um, so, you know, yeah, it's a really difficult situation overall. And one of the things that I asked uh, Blumenthal, and I, maybe I'll just ask this to you, is why do you think it is that Russia and and the United States, Russia and NATO, developed this com- conflict after the collapse of the Soviet Union? Why wasn't there a solid attempt to bring 
Russia into NATO, why couldn't there be a settling of the of the disagreements and the conflicts between Russia and and the West Western world? Well, a couple of things. You're you're right about Zelensky. He won by uh, campaigning for peace. He said he would end the war in Donbass. Mm-hmm. But these forces, while that's what the people, it's kind of like the U.S., where politicians say things because they know that's what people want. Um, so that's what the people wanted. But the people who really control Ukraine, the oligarchic mm-hmm. class, they don't want to change anything. The oligarch who sponsored him, a guy named Kolomoisky, mm-hmm. um, is, and I, I want to point out something else here, who, like Zelensky, is also Jewish. But he also funds the Azov Battalion. These fascists, these neo-Nazis are muscle for the oligarchic class. And uh, um, someone explained it to me as, you know, being um, a fascist there is more about being anti-Russian. And then that is an explanation for how uh, Jews can be supportive of them. And I'm like, oh, OK, I'll, I'll, I'll go with that. But uh, you're absolutely right about Zelensky. He did want to bring about uh, peace, but those forces did not want him to. And to have um, this military, like the Azov Battalion, these people mm-hmm. are a um, an obstacle to peace, an obstacle to getting rid of corruption, because they exist to continue the war, to continue their protection for the corrupt people. And, and Ukraine is one of the poorest countries in Europe, one of the most kleptocratic uh, so I, I wanted to say that just to back up what you were saying. But um, the whole point about Russia and NATO, NATO is not what we're told it is. It's not this defensive alliance. It's an aggressive alliance. And a lot of their aggression is to try to, um, there was this, and it's a fantasy. And these people, unfortunately, are in power to break up Russia, to contain Russia. And it's um, it isn't going to happen it's a futile effort. It's a very dangerous effort. But unfortunately, mm-hmm. these people believe it. I believe they can do that. So, no, they didn't want to have, I, I you know, you may, like me, remember um, that we were thought we would get a peace dividend. It's like, well, if there's no Soviet Union, there's no need to spend all this money on defense, right? Mm-hmm. Remember that? Mm-hmm. And but the the exact opposite happened. They kicked them while they were down. It was this was an opportunity to expand uh, Western, um, that is to say, uh, capitalist uh, um, uh, hegemony. So former Soviet republics became independent and then became members of NATO. Warsaw Pact countries became members of NATO. But it's not enough for them. And I was. Um, I was having a conversation with someone earlier. They, they, these are people who don't believe in diplomacy. It's our way or the highway. So there was no um, honest um, discussion, no good faith negotiations with Russia because they want it all. They want Russia. And notice in the 90s when oligarchs really ran Russia, um, I'm not going to say they have no power now, but Putin got them out of politics. Mm-hmm. Um, under Yeltsin, mm-hmm. when oligarchs really ran Russia, it was fine with Washington. Uh, Yeltsin was our guy. Um, and uh, so they did not want an independent Russia. They did not want a Russia that 
uh, could be a competing power of the U.S., but it is a competing power. Why? Of the why do you think? Why do you think that is? Why wouldn't the United States want to have other nations develop to their full capacity under capitalism? The, the, and and I'll like if you look back to after World War II, mm-hmm. there was a, an effort to re to get the Japanese people and Japanese nation up and running to reinvest in in the Japanese economy to develop them economically so that they would be integrated into a world capitalist system. And, you know, yeah, later on in the eighties, we started to like be a little bit concerned about the threat from Japan. I remember being, you know, like um, movies like gung ho. Do you remember that movie? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, Like, Oh no, they're coming. They're going to, they're going to outcompete us. But, um, it, it seems to me like the dream of capitalism is to have every nation be productive and, you know, democratic and yeah, sir, sort of riven with class problems. But uh, why can't we, why didn't we want an equal trading partner, productive trading partner rather than this sort of region of chaos? Uh, I, their goal is supremacy. And so, you know, every country's either, you know, what did Bush say? You're either with us or against us. So that's it. You either have to be with us, you have to be a vassal state, or we have to crush you. So that means um, getting control of resources, all, or it could be oil, it could be gold, it could be anything. Uh, sometimes it means just subjugating any country. Like, why does the U.S. need to determine who runs Nicaragua? I want to remind you that GCAS is Sublation Media's one and only sponsor. They are an educational institution offering accredited degrees, and they are running seminars in critical theory, psychoanalysis, communication, philosophy, and literature. Upcoming seminars include Rocky Gangle on Spinoza's Ethics, Keith Faulkner's seminar on the Genealogy of Ideas, including lectures on Nietzsche, Foucault, and Deleuze, Emily Russen on George Bataille's Religion Without Religion, and many others. If you're interested in a radical education, follow the link to GCAS in the description. Supporting GCAS is a good way to support Sublation Media. Um, the goal is now to have full domination, full-spectrum dominance is the is the goal, is to control everything and subjugate everyone. So China was, first, everything was fine. China would make cheap products for Walmart and China gets in the WTO. China's great until they develop economic prowess and they become a competitor. Mm -hmm. So now the goal is just to dominate. So nobody can be a friend who, uh, unless they are a an allied state unless they're a puppet then you can be uh then everything's good or you can be one of these little countries that's just victimized all the time and everybody else has to go along or be crushed except that you can't do it without posing great dangers to the world and having had ukraine blow up in their faces they're screwing around with china regarding taiwan and I, you know, they want Taiwan to be the, the next Ukraine. So, um, and we have um, people who are delusional. I, I have to say that. I, I find that um, the uh, there used to be these statesmen who, even if they did something that I thought was really horrible, they were smart people. 
Mm-hmm. But Biden and his team are incompetent. They are amateurs. And so are people in the rest of Europe. The UK, it's like there's if there's a looking if you're looking for a bigger bunch of morons, just go to London, you know, or the new German chancellor. It's uh, uh, where the Europeans refuse to stand up for themselves. I mean, look what Germany did. They had this pipeline completed uh, with Russia and then gave it up after the U.S. instigated this um, this crisis. But to, the short answer is. What they want is domination and um, peaceful coexistence and building up other countries. That's that's uh, yesterday's news. It doesn't work for them now. But but why is it that in again, like after World War Two, there mm-hmm. wasn't a need for to dominate Japan in that way to to um, to, to install, uh, a, the, you know, maybe there was a, there was a need to make sure they were politically our allies and sure their military was decommissioned and they weren't going to be a military threat anymore. But they, there was a sense that we wanted the Japanese people and the, and for Japan to be a self-reliant and developing economy in the world. And and it seems to me that you've got to look at like the difference between like Fordism at that period of time and neoliberalism later, like mm-hmm. something changed yeah. in the economy that created these the, the a new approach to foreign policy where um and the the i guess the other thing i throw out there is like how is the, the eu is cracking up right mm-hmm. but yes but there's but the eu did come into existence even under neoliberalism and within the european union there's dominant states like germany mm-hmm. dominates the rest of the eu right because of its productive capacity um and uh, there's a lot of resentment from other European nations along those lines. And yet, you know, it, it doesn't come down to like the Germany deciding, well, what we really want is for Poland to fall into complete chaos, to be run by oligarchs and have ev- the civil society and, you know, the social order completely crack up. Um, I mean, maybe it could get to that point if the, but I just wonder, you know, I maybe it comes down to, um, old standing grudges between, you know, a, 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 an animosity that just developed historically. But it just seems like we could, why couldn't Russia be part of the EU? Why couldn't um, we want the, 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 the development of the, of their. Yeah. Nation? It's a, I mean, it's a, you know, the, this question of, uh, you know, this common sense approach where everybody gets something that they want uh, mm-hmm. is just not allowed anymore. I think, uh, you you uh, answered part of your question in talking about neoliberalism, mm-hmm. uh, which demands this sort of uh, domination. There are others who say people, frankly, more well-versed than I am, that at this stage of capitalism, this is inevitable, that this is the moment where capitalism starts to eat itself. And uh, even another capitalist country can become an enemy um, if it doesn't allow uh, the system to have uh, to have its way everywhere. So um, China is a socialist government, but it's they've got capitalism of a kind. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Russia is definitely capitalist, but they're enemies because they won't do what this side tells them to do, and that mm-hmm. that is the the stage of development <clears throat> where we are now, where. Uh, it has to be total domination or nothing else. And and you're right, neoliberalism, uh, austerity, all of these things have um, 
have changed that that world is now passe and i think the fall of the soviet union was one of of the things that uh um that hurt the world so much and this is what i mean there was this counterpoint uh for this system so um you had to make the case in order to make the case for our country um you had to say so if someone said for example Uh, socialist countries, they take care of the people. So the United States could say, well, we, you know, you got social security, you got Medicare, you've got this, you've got that. So, you know, we're doing all right. And then when that leading country just disappeared, then it's socialism doesn't work. We don't have to do anything for you. In fact, we can take from you. We can take from other countries. Um, we don't have to, uh, I, I don't, I hate to say we when I'm talking about uh, our government and the people mm-hmm. who run this system, but um, mm-hmm. anyway. Yeah, uh, no, I understand. There's no more need to make the case for um, for our system, no more need to appeal to people to be on our side. And then you're the the uh, the bully on the block. You're the, the biggest bully with the biggest bag, bat or the biggest gun, and everybody can just do what you want. But that didn't last forever. Um, you know, the United States uh, uh, created this, um, uh, the economic uh, prowess of, uh, of, of China. Um, the, um, and, the, and, and Russia, I'm sorry, I wanted to say something else about the, about the EU. You know, the purpose of the EU was to move capital around. I mean, that was the easiest thing. So you, you know, you give people some goodies. So if you have a French passport, you could live in Germany or, but the real thing was if you lived in Poland, you could be a source of cheap labor in Paris. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, uh, so that was, um, that was the real reason for uh, the EU. And it's also why it doesn't meet people's needs very well. Why, mm-hmm. why you had a Brexit and talk of, you know, Brexit like actions, Mm-hmm. in other um in other countries and as far as russia i think there i think you're you're right about historical grievance and uh prejudices uh, um against this um this country russia's a, a vast country with a lot of resources part of it is they want their stuff and they want to get it for a song they don't want um uh, to to have to deal with Russia as a co-equal. But you see, one of the things that happened uh, after the fall of the Soviet Union was the destruction of Yugoslavia, which was independent of the Soviet Union, but they didn't want a strong socialist state in Europe, and that's why U.S. and NATO destroyed it and, and broke it up. Uh, so even though Russia became capitalist too, it's still seen as this other. It's still seen as this place to be conquered. Mm-hmm. Um and I think something happening now, they they can't go or feel like they can't go back. So having had Ukraine blow up like this, instead of talking, which is the thing that should happen, and however you feel uh, about how this happened, I think everyone should agree there should be talks. But that's not what they want to do. They are still hoping. And, and you know, if you follow... People who are informed that they all agree Ukraine is losing. I mean, and it makes Russia has a bigger army, more better equipment, more soldiers. So it was the defeat was inevitable. And we're seeing it now. Very methodical destruction of Ukraine's uh, military. But there's nobody to say, let's 
stop right here. Or when it first began in late February to say, all right, let's let's talk to Putin. Um, you know, before this um, this whole thing uh, uh, got worse and worse and worse for the Ukrainian people who everyone claims to care about so much. So that's my uh, uh, my answer, I guess. I think I went off on a slight tangent. No, there. no, that's fine. But you, you raised something that at the beginning there of your answer that I want to come back to, which is about <clears throat> if this kind of conflict is inevitable mm-hmm. and that this stage of, in capitalism – if and our aim as socialists is to get beyond capitalism, mm-hmm. how do we, uh, how do we think about this crisis in a way that's opportune for us? Mm-hmm. Because I worry, like when I talk to Max Blumenthal, that the vision of uh, let's say a Russian victory here is the vision of a world divided up into th- like two or three capitalist powers mm-hmm. in conflict with each other and that 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 could be very bad mm-hmm. for the for working people not that the world dominated by one capitalist power is any good no right but just that it's not a better world to conceive of china and russia and the united states to, you know trying to divide up the world through proxy wars and and straight up kind of in, uh counter-imperialist conquest you know like 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 i don't like the the idea of my future being friends and my kids future being one in which they live in a world which the leaders of the world treat like a game of risk you know (laughs) yeah correct yeah i i see what you mean it's um you know, hopefully what I would like to see, I mean, let's just um, talk briefly about what I would like to see. Yeah, like what would you like to see come this out of this? multipolar world that everyone talks about. And, you know, it's funny thing, even during the Cold War, the U.S. acknowledged that Russia, that the Soviet Union had a sphere of influence. Mm-hmm. So they might condemn uh, when they cracked down in Hungary or Czechoslovakia, but they didn't do anything. They were like, well, that's the Soviet sphere We're going to leave that alone because that's theirs. Not that they never competed ever, Um, but just a recognition of uh, other nation sovereignty and uh, a recognition that, yes, if if China goes to Africa and gives loans with better better terms than the World Bank, well, yes, African countries are going to take money from China. Why wouldn't they? Um, So in my... um, uh, fantasy world, people, they would say, okay, fine, you know, China gets to, you know, build a railroad in Kenya, which they did, um, and that's okay with us. And who cares about who runs Nicaragua, this little country with six million people, fine, let them elect whoever they want. Um, that is the world. Um, yeah, but during I the time would- when the Soviet Union existed, the Nicar- the United States did not, ex- that was our sphere of influence, and the United States did not. Accept- exactly, and uh, or like Grenada, this tiny little island, because Cuba built an airport. The U.S. had to uh, crush their revolution. There'd be no crushing of peoples in my and why, why don't I dream big? Um, and uh, countries could be free to make their own choices, and countries could be free to be allied with this one or that one, and the other side wouldn't. But that uh, means going beyond spheres of influence, right? Because. Well, One of the things that about that is that you're like, okay, like with Nicaragua or with an African nation wanting to get railroad loans, they wouldn't be set, they wouldn't be constricted because of their geographic location and their right. They could do what they wanted to do. Right, right. So they basically, 
there's a I, I come back to this all the time like in the, the movie network remember the movie network you ever Big see that league. one <laughs> there's a scene where ned Beatty is like telling the 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 lead broadcaster the the star of the movie like you know you've got it all wrong there are no nations anymore there's only AT&T and DuPont and, and, you know, and uh, uh, Conoco and, you know, um, there and Coca-Cola and, you know, everything is going to be dealt with by dollars and, and somebody invests there, then would they have to reinvest somewhere else? And that's the vision that you have, because what you're saying is, all these capitalists should be able to make deals. Like it's Donald Trump's vision. It's not, not at his best. The art of the deal, which I think is like, you know, a fine well, thing. My, I'd, my, I'd love it if it would work because it's like if we could just say like, OK, we're going to go out and get the best deal we can from whoever's going to offer us the best terms. We're going to trade. We're going to we're going to make a little profit for ourselves, run our little nations. And, you know, and 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 through this, everyone will benefit. Right. Um, and, and if or if countries did not want to participate, if they're like a weird straight up socialist country, they'd be left alone to do whatever they wanted to do. And, you know, this whole notion of, you know, I, it makes me crazy that people still talk about America's backyard and the whole hemisphere is America's backyard. And uh, that uh, a country in this hemisphere in South Central America or the Caribbean could ally themselves with whoever they wanted without fear of um, uh, interference from the United States. I mean, this, this, uh, the sanctions, the, uh, uh, blockade against Cuba is now 60 years old. The U.S. has been creating misery for Cubans for 60 years. Try to pressure them to do what the U.S. wants them to do, which is not have the system that they want to have. Mm. Uh, so in that world, the U.S. would say, we don't care. Okay, Cuba, do your thing. It is, a, it is crazy <laughs> that, that there should still be a blockade against Cuba, especially sure. after Castro is gone, the Soviet Union is gone. I mean, what is to stop... Cuba from becoming an equal partner with the capitalist and also considering like, look, we accept China Well, China. I mean, I, I think China is a capitalist country, but they're not the, the, the system of government might be closer to what we they object have, to, to, to being in Cuba. I don't know if the, that's true, but yeah, you know, like we, we use this love of democracy as a way to justify well, uh, blockading countries and so we'll say oh china's an autocratic and uh, you know a totalitarian well, and we can't <laughs> abide that but we abide it uh we abide it when they're powerful enough economically yeah well well let me just say this about loving democracy i think the people here love democracy the people at the mm -hmm. top don't it's a word used for propaganda purposes they don't they don't care about democracy here we don't get i mean look at all the things that americans want that we're told we cannot have mm -hmm. we cannot have them we can't complain about it, and we have to go along with the people who keep lying to us. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's not democracy. So that's what you want, what I want, what the people want, but that's not what our oligarchic class wants. It's not what their servants, the politicians, want. So, um, you know, they, they always claim it's democracy. This is, a, you know, a humanitarian intervention, even as you're bombing people or, or something like that. That's the word to use to get buy-in from us. Because if they were honest, uh, if they said, you know, well, we just want to, you know, we just want to screw with Cuba for the sake of doing it, and and we don't care that uh, 
I, I was told that, uh, recently that um, death rates from breast cancer are going up because their mammogram machines, they can't replace their mammogram machines. And uh, if you told people that, I think most people would say, well, that's terrible. How can we do that to another country? Mm-hmm. But uh, they don't tell you that. They just talk about democracy, uh, vilify another country, call somebody else autocratic, a dictatorship, whatever the word of the moment is to get public buy-in for doing something uh, uh, evil. So, But also in my uh, fantasy world, we'd have a real democracy here. And that's why the fact that we don't have one here is why the U.S. is an enemy of democracy in the rest of the world. Um, The people here would have their needs met. We would have a political system that reflected our needs and our desires Uh, Our public money would be spent on the things that we wanted it spent for instead of military spending, which is um, it's it's now a majority of the discretionary spending is is for defense. That is to say, for Raytheon and McDonnell Douglas, et cetera. Um, So that is um, that's my world. But we don't have that world. So what do we do? I think. I think one of the, the first things we can do is just to speak the truth, just to say, no, actually, we don't have a democracy. Can we stop saying that? Uh, mm-hmm. No, the Democrats aren't. Are the Democrats better than the Republicans? Really? Well, you're the ones who didn't defend Roe v. Wade when you could have. And now they want us to jump into action and sign petitions and write checks to stop the evil Republicans from doing what they let them do in the first place. Mm-hmm. Um so I think the, the the first thing we have to do is to speak the truth uh, mm-hmm. about the situation we have, about uh, what our country does here and around mm-hmm. the world. I, I think we should start there. But mm-hmm. it's hard to even start there when people here are so indoctrinated. And I think liberals are the most indoctrinated people. I don't mm-hmm. think it's the mega hat wearing January 6th people. I think liberals are the most indoctrinated. Well, uh, okay, that last statement I want to talk to you about because I am, um, uh, I I'm going to tout a, a another program, another podcast okay. called Blogging Heads. You know about Blogging Heads? You ever heard I, of it? Maybe. There's just two <laughs> old white guys from the New Republic started Blogging Heads. It's a Robert Wright and Mickey Kouse. Okay. And Mickey Kouse was a former uh, member of SDS. Mm-hmm. Uh, and be- who became a uh, Clintonite, uh, well, pro welfare reform type advocate in the nineties and a Trump supporter voted for Trump twice in the you know last decade. Like, uh, like he went from Marxism to the right for sure. And Bob Wright is this sort of middle of the road liberal wants a world order based on international law wants uh, likes Buddhism. You know, talk has a we has a newsletter called the Non-Zero Newsletter, which is like we don't have to run the world like it's a zero-sum game. Everyone can benefit. We think he wants advocates for cognitive empathy. Think about what the other guy's interests are. Mm-hmm. Not you don't have to like feel empathy, but like think through what the other person's position is in the world right. stage. And like, um, I find that those are liberals. Those are two liberals, two different kinds of liberals. The Trump supporting liberal, like classical liberal, like capitalist, full on embracing capital and Robert Wright, liberal. Then then there's like the Democratic progressives, you know, there's a different thing, maybe. Um, And I find it really helpful to start by thinking about, like, what would 
just the promises of bourgeois society be? Like, what does capitalism say that we're supposed to be? And one of the things it says is this kind of shit isn't supposed to happen. We're all supposed to be able to trade with each other and get along. There's supposed to be rules of law, international law, and it just keeps failing. And um, so that's why, like, what I wish for is some somebody, some political force in the world that could say to Biden, Zelensky and Putin, you cannot put us all at risk this way. Mm-hmm. You have to stop. This has to stop. That's being negotiated settlement. We don't care. Uh, listen to the people in Donbass. Listen to the people in Ukraine. You know, but we want to work together to to create some sort of peaceful settlement here because we cannot accept being split apart this way and and the threat of Armageddon being held over the world's head uh, because of disagreements about what oil pipelines and trade routes or who looks tough and who doesn't? I mean, this is not, you know. Well, that you know, I would like that too. Um, <clears throat> but as I as I said, we don't we don't get that here. So um, no, no, I know we don't. That's why we'd have to be aiming <laughs> here at Biden, right? Like our task would be to put Biden's feet to the, the fire and say, "Look, this is not acceptable. The escalation in Ukraine is not acceptable." Well, you, I you, you cannot- know I had it's funny. Um, I had this idea um, about what I what I could say to Democrats to wake them up, to shake them up, so they don't think that their only option is to keep supporting these horrible people who treat them badly. And um, uh, I, I think we have to use the power that we have. And I was I was thinking about what can I tell people? Stop voting for Democrats if. The United States, is, it, it appears, I don't know if you've seen this story, they changed the State Department website, um, which uh, clearly enunciated the one China policy. There's one China, Taiwan's part of China, and they've changed it recently, like within the last week or so. And there is a concern that they are actually going to recognize Taiwan as independent, which is a red line for China. Um, and I was thinking you could maybe tell people, tell the Democrats, if Biden recognizes Taiwan, I'm not voting for you. Just some clear-cut red line issue. If you don't fix the baby formula crisis, oh my God, talk about a system in crisis, I'm not going to vote for you. Something very clear. And I think, but in, even order, in order to get to that point, there has to be a recognition that uh, our system does not work for us. And it's hard... I think for a lot of people to even admit that. So it's easy to personalize. It's easy to say, oh, Trump, he's so horrible. Or, and I'm not saying he wasn't, but um, uh, there is a resistance. There's a lot of resistance to being truthful about the uh, society that we, um, that we have uh, now. I mean, I was thinking about this, you know, world that we wanted. I mean, we used to have, I mean, when I was younger, you had um, you had an expectation of having a living wage job, and you didn't have to be in debt your whole life to go to college, and all of these things that we were told we could have. Well, many people had them, uh, but it's all been taken away from us. And these people who took it away want to keep taking things away. Why is there no Build Back Better bill? Because there are people who said yeah, they got enough. That's it. They got a little stimulus. 
Um, and they got the rescue plan. That's all we're going to allow. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's not mansion and cinema. So, you know, people say, well, I'd like to help you, but mansion and cinemas, you know, it's uh, it's them. So what I would like to see happen first, and I think this does have to happen first, is this willingness to um, let go of the charade, the willingness to let go of the idea of American exceptionalism and white supremacy, which plays out not just with the mass shooter, not just with people in the Klan. It plays out in a lot of different ways that people don't think about this belief that this country is basically good. And if we just nibble around the edges, everything will be okay. So I, I'm having said that, I'm not sure how to make it happen, but mm-hmm. I think we have to encourage truth-telling, which it may be easy for me, it may be easy for you, but I think it's very difficult for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. So I think we have to start there, and then we can know what to do next. Um, but you have to know you have to do something. You have to know that the system itself is at fault rather than saying, why are there homeless encampments everywhere? Well, hello, it's this system that we have. Mm. And uh, to saying that's why, that mm. that's why you have it. The system wants it. They want homeless people. They want a big defense budget. They want you to live a precarious existence. They want you to have gig work. They want you to be in student loan debt to acknowledge that that is um, uh, the way this country is run and what the people at the top want. They don't want anything that's good for us. So uh, having said that, I'm not sure how to move people along, but I think that's essential. I I think it's really essential for people to know and to own the real situation, which, you know, is difficult. Well, I, you know, I, I, you bring up the homeless situation. I'm going to, briefly say something about another project that we're going to be starting. I have a friend who works on Skid Row, mm-hmm. who uh, is a social worker on Skid Row, and, and she deals with the people who are most um, mentally ill mm-hmm. on Skid Row. Uh, and uh, she is going to be doing a podcast with a legal aid uh, worker, some a guy who's a lawyer who provides legal aid to the poor and, mm-hmm. and um, to talk about uh, the kind of the lies of progressivism and the way in which we, the the industry and the bureaucracy that has arisen around in, po- in poverty, perpetu not not intentionally but perpetuates uh, the status quo. It perpetuates an acceptance of what should be unacceptable, even as they do reach out and provide aid and are kind of providing essential r- resources. At times, there's also sort of a uh, a mentality that arises that you know um, you have to ignore um, how inhuman and unacceptable the situation is that that you're trying to cope with, and so they're uh, you know they're uh, going to be talking about all the different ways that the system rationalizes what is completely irrational, and I think that in reality it's not actually the case that there's a the political class that wants everybody to be insecure and impoverished and i think that the reality is that the that every that the the political class would like it if everyone had a nice job and went to work came home had their little lives did what they were supposed to do 
that got up in the morning, did it again, and we could reproduce ourselves every day, but they can't manage it. That isn't possible under this system. Like that falls apart. Like you, you, you have to have a reserve army of the unemployed. Yeah. But, you know, but, but not just because it's useful to discipline workers, but also because the economy can't take in everyone. Um, they can't manage it to uh, avoid conflicts between nations because the system itself that they're trying to manage sets that all up. And they have no vision as to how to get beyond this system. Um, well, I think there may be some people who genuinely want things to be better, but I'm not so sure of that anymore. I, I think there are people who they like the chaos. Uh, really? I, I think there's several groups. There are people who would prefer things be different, but they don't have the guts to fight against it. I think that's most of the progressives in Congress who, you know, talk but don't ever do anything. Um, they, I, you know, then their heart of hearts that they probably want something different, but they aren't fighters. So they go along, excuse me, and rationalize it. And then there are people who are cynics. And then there are people who genuinely want this. Because if, if something keeps happening, it's because somebody wants it to happen. Uh, there are people who, yes, they want, I mean, look at Amazon. Amazon needs, we talk about reserve labor force. They, they burn through so many workers. Their working conditions are so bad. Mm-hmm. That they have in some places they've reached a, a point in these warehouses they don't have anybody new to take in because people can't take working like that and I, I'm assuming mm-hmm. our, your viewers know that they have the high very high rate of workplace injuries. I mean, uh, uh, I think that's going to change though, Margaret. I have oh, I do? have faith in in Chris Smalls and the unionization <laughs> well, of Amazon. Too. I do mm-hmm. too, but he shouldn't meet re- re- with Joe Biden. That was my my comment. But at any rate, because Biden needs him, he doesn't need Biden. Well, I've interviewed um, him twice. I, I feel like I rubbed up against celebrity early on. <laughs> I don't know um, if he's going to you know, have time for me now, but. Uh, no. uh, well, you know, but that's more of what we need. Uh, workers, I mean, that um, these traditional unions couldn't unionize uh, Amazon uh, warehouses and finally somebody did it. So that is. Mm-hmm. Um, and it came from the rank and file. He came. Yes, from yes, a, yes. A, you know, it came from yes, the people I who knew the conditions. Well, that's, you know, but that raises another issue. There are all these people in positions that we respect. It could be a politician or it could be a long-standing union mm-hmm. and they're not the ones to get it done it's the rank and file who um who get these things done and uh, i think having said everything else i've said we need to listen to them more mm-hmm. but um uh but yeah i think but i think we have to admit that these things don't happen consistently over and over by accident there are people who do want it to be this way and um they in order to get what they want, they have to keep individuals down. They have to keep other countries down, but they can't. And this is, I suppose, the contradiction. They can't do it without ruining everything for everybody. So you have these billionaires who clearly know something's wrong. They all want to go to New Zealand or find some safe, quote unquote, place um, mm-hmm. uh, to live because they know that they've uh, uh, they've screwed this up so uh, so badly. But there, I think we have to acknowledge there are people who want things. Things are this way because there are people who want them to be this way. And they don't have any interest in doing um, uh, anything better. So, yeah, there are a lot of people. They would like us for all to have a living wage job and all have a roof over our heads. And there are other people who don't, don't care. 
And there are other people who, in order to get what they want, they have to have a population that is just ground down. And if they're homeless, if they've got a crappy job, they don't care. They, I will not just don't care. It is what they need to have happen. Yeah. Listen, um, we've come up to about 50 minutes here on the, uh, that's almost an hour.